Hey guys, and welcome to the Because Maybe podcast, the podcast that takes a look at all things 90s and answers some of the most important questions of the decade. Because maybe we all found Bugs Bunny attractive when he put on a dress and played Girl Bunny, right? Right? No? Just, just, just me and Goth? Oh. Uh, well, um... Wow, okay, uh, I'm your host John Connolly, and thank you for whoever you are, wherever you are, for taking the time out of your day to listen to this podcast. We have a good show for you this week too, we uh, review a pair of movies from the early 90s that were really hilarious, Wayne's World and Wayne's World 2. We have some 90s trivia to look back on, and we look at a weird, weird product that they still make to this very, very day. So, um, thank you everybody for uh, last week's episode, I really do appreciate everybody listening to it, and... Giving us some really, really good feedback. Um, we had some, you know, very, very interesting uh, thoughts about the episode, and I want to give a heads up to Kat. Uh, she basically gave us some feedback that made me realize that I missed something out of last week's review. So thank you to Kat, who said that uh, she was partial to Super Mario Brothers 3, and that's one of the reasons why it took her a while to get an SNES. And by the time she had an SNES, she'd graduated to fighting games. And I can completely understand that, you know, going from uh, Super Mario and Sonic to Street Fighter like that was, I think, one of my hallmarks as well. And uh, Raccoon Mario brought her pure joy. And, you know, that that, that, that warms my heart. I, I loved Raccoon Mario too. But that made me realize that I'd left something out of last week's review. Uh, she said that she would play the game right now if she was able to. And I should have mentioned it that... I should have mentioned that both games are currently available on the Wii U store. Uh, if you own a Wii U, uh, Super Mario Bros. 3 is for $5, and Super Mario World is for $8 in the American market. If you were in Europe, Australia, Japan, um, I don't know exactly what price it will be, but it'll be in around the 5 to 7 range for Super Mario 3, and the 7 to 10 range for Super Mario World. Now, you could do that, obviously, and uh, and that's what I want everybody to do. I don't want anybody to go and download an emulator and play it, even though sometimes it's very, very smooth to play and everything like that. You have to do these things legitimately. So don't get an emulator, get get it directly off the Wii U. Unless you already own the game and then you can totally get it on an emulator. That's that's completely and utterly legal. But uh, once again, thanks for Cat and thanks for everybody who uh, gave us feedback for last week's episode in terms of the content. I wanted to apologize too for last week's audio and a little bit of this week's audio as well. Uh, this week I sound a little bit different uh, in terms of the recording. That's because I had one button on my mixing board pressed that I shouldn't have had. And uh, this week when I was uh, when me and Greg were recording, because it's going to be a conversation when we talk about Wayne's World today, uh, when me and Greg were recording I had uh, my microphone turned up a little bit higher than what it should have been because I was looking at the wrong knob and the wrong level on the program I recorded in. Uh, professional guys, that's very, that's professional right there is to know <laughs> what you were doing. Um, but um, and I make money doing that too, that which is weird. But um, I'm getting it right. I'm getting there. We are improving week to week. Uh, we had some feedback saying you know that they could tell the difference between the first episode and the last episode. And again, constant growth and constant improvement is what I'm looking for, and that's what I'm looking for from you guys too. I appreciate everybody who is following us on social media. And guys, if you like the page, please, please. Send it to a friend, like and share. I have a drive where I want to get more and more people uh, liking the uh, the page. I want us to get to 100 followers by uh, the end of October, by the time Halloween comes around. And I want us to, you know, have some followers on, on Twitter. I want us to have followers on Tumblr. All these links are in the description below. If you are a member of those sites and you haven't liked us on those pages, please do. It'll give us a nice little boost. And plus, you can share it to your friends. You can share it to their friends and so on and so forth. We also have a YouTube channel that plays... Uh, if you haven't got time to listen to the whole podcast, we have snippet files on there. You can go back and listen to my tribute to Tom Petty. 
that was on tacked onto the, the end of the podcast last week. If you want to hear it in its entirety, it is on our YouTube channel. Uh, you know, again, like and share us on there. Uh, we also have a blog. Uh, this week we had a little bit of delay in posting the blog due to a family emergency, something that really couldn't be helped but um hopefully that should be up right now and you should have received the links uh the next couple of weeks we are going to have an increased activity in social media so our name is going to be up there a little bit more too so you know we look forward to to hearing all your feedback as well that's what we want i crave feedback i want feedback i want to know what i'm doing right and i definitely want to know what i'm doing wrong case in point the sound last week um also if you want to support the podcast too i know for the last couple of weeks we've been advertising a gig for the holodex uh coming up on the 21st of october uh if you guys have any work that you'd like to advertise you know not a problem i will be more than happy to promote you guys on the podcast however all i ask in return is that you give us a like and a share back you know if you have your own podcast that you want to uh that you want to promote you know i can gladly open up my audience to you on the condition that you open yours up to mine that way you know we 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 kind of you know scratch our back again this is a small project we don't have any money back in us you know everything is being done um out of my own pocket and you know i'm just looking forward to to moving forward as much as i can and grow my audience but if you you feel that uh, you need to expand and want to use this podcast as a way to expand your horizons let me know. Send me an email because maybe podcast at gmail.com and I'll be more than happy to accommodate you. Again, on the condition that you can accommodate me with a similar request. You know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours, and so on and so forth. Uh, also, for all you Google Play listeners out there, we've tried and we've tried and we're still having issues with Google Play. In fact, to the point where I have to actually physically call Google. Yes, Google does have a helpline for this kind of thing. Uh, I'll be calling Google this next week, just trying to make sure that we haven't made any errors. Uploading our stream to their uh, podcast site, you know, so that we we can we can get on their platform and expand to to the device that you listen to. In the meantime, if you have iTunes, we're on iTunes. Look for us because maybe podcast, and of course you can use the Podbean app, which I 100% assure you, if you don't have and you decide to get it, you can log into it through your Facebook. So you don't have to create your own account, which is absolutely fantastic. So, and that's it, guys. You know, we've got a lot to come. So, without further ado, here's me and Greg Gregory talking about Wayne's World and Wayne's World 2. Review Corner. The Big Screen. This week on Review Corner, we're going to be taking a look at a pair of movies that uh, were absolutely fantastic, and I am joined, for the first time, by the uh, Wayne to my Garth, the Mario to my Luigi, Mr. Greg Gregory. Greg, how are you, man? Hey, good. Thanks uh, Thanks for having me on. Oh, no problem, man. I really do appreciate having you on here. Uh, you know, everything that you've given to help us along the way has been absolutely fantastic, and I figured, what better way than talking about one of the greatest movies of the 90s? Yeah, I mean, it really... It, de- it defined uh, the culture of the 90s in a lot of ways. And we're going to be talking about its sequel, which kind of didn't. Uh, but, um, you know, well, so... I, th- I think there's some debate there, definitely. There, but, you know. There, it's, a good, it's a good movie, but I think... And we'll get to it here in a minute. It was just... It, it com- comparable, I think it was... It wasn't the first movie. Yeah, exactly. And the first movie is what defined a, a lot of things. Um, so the first movie, Wayne's World, uh, was originally released in February of 1992 and did a box office of 183.1 million, which, according to my little calculator thing, was a profit of like 140 million. Actually, profit a lot more than that, actually. But um, it got a critical rating on the genometer of 80 out of 100. Now, if you don't know what the genometer is, it's the same formula that I used in the original episode to put the book movies together. So, you know, using a combination of IMDb and uh, Rotten Tomatoes. But um, 
80 out of 100? You, you, agree with that or um yeah i'd say that's about right i mean i, I don't know i would have gave it at least a, a, a solid a a a minus but um you know uh i think that's fair i mean uh, there's probably movies at the time that were better yeah but it, it was definitely good in its own right i mean we did have silence of the lambs and stuff like that but again you know we can compare I, that's one thing i've always had a problem with movie critics is comparing movie certain movies to certain movies you know i mean apples and oranges exactly i mean yeah. this is rated on the same scale as the godfather and the godfather's like 97 percent. so yeah and that's one of the greatest movies of all time probably probably yeah, like in pulp fiction or that's casablanca fine. oh casablanca casablanca holds up still still to this day um the background of the wayne's world movie um a lot of people um have a misconception that it was from saturday night live now the movie itself was from saturday night live but the character of uh wayne actually came from a Canadian TV show called It's Only Rock and Roll. Hmm. And uh, when Mike Myers came to Saturday Night Live, he brought the character with him because he owned the rights. And it was weird. Um, Mike Myers wasn't a star at that point when he joined the Saturday Night Live crew, but Dana Carvey was. That's, and that's interesting to think about because you think about the, the magnitude of Mike Myers' career post this movie, his film career. Oh, anyway. yeah. Up until The Love Guru. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, so that that's one of the things he didn't want. Uh, he didn't want a Garth in the original in the original sketches, but uh, Lorne Michaels insisted because Dana Carvey was the biggest star at the time. Um, he was going through that period with the you know with the church lady and with the um, the, the the President Bush Senior uh, impression that was getting. <laughs> I was get I, I was get them too confused. Bush the Elder. Uh, H.W. I think we call him that now. Yeah. Uh, this is Mike Myers' debut. And when you think about how many movies he did, I'd say it's a pretty good debut. Yeah, that's that's a, that definitely a solid debut. I mean, he definitely had some acting chops. And he, definitely. I mean, he proved that with Saw Married an Ex Murderer. I thought that was a good film too. Yeah, it was a good movie. I, I think it was a little underwhelming in the box office, but uh, you know. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. I mean, the thing is, I think that was one of the first. I think that's the only movie that Mike Myers has done not in character, even though he did play some of the characters in there. He was acting as Mike Myers as opposed right. to acting as Wayne. That was yeah, that was his most Canadian film. <laughs> like he was definitely very Canadian in that film. Oh my word! But then obviously there's Wayne World Two as well. Um, that had a different director, which we'll get into here in a little while. Uh, that was actually released only a year and a half later in 1993. Uh, but unlike Wayne's World, the original, it only got 48.2 million at the box office. Which is still a decent for, for, for a movie. However, it was only eight million of profit because they sunk a lot of money into that second one. You know, there's a lot of things of uh, Mike Myers around in between the first and the second movie that he wanted certain demands, like the director had to change because uh, they didn't get on, and they butted heads you know completely all the time. I think that I think well I think sometimes conflict you know it can be. Uh difficult but a lot of times that's how you create something beautiful is because you have two ideas bouncing off of one another and you know equals creativity and when sense. they didn't have that in the second movie it could seem a little lackluster then that could have been it why it was a lot less heralded than the original oh definitely i mean the the director Penel, i can and I'm, i apologize if i get this wrong penelope uh spheris uh she didn't work on this she said that it wasn't her decision and went to work on the beverly hillbillies which, if you haven't seen, don't waste two hours of your life going to watch it. Although it's got Rob Schneider in it. Yeah, and Rob it, Schneider in the early 90s was great. It had some funny moments, uh, like it, when he was trying to figure out how to use the bowling alley. 
they were uh, they were eating food off the pool table, uh, using <laughs> using the rests and moving the food around. Um, Chris Farley, who appeared in the first movie, uh, was recast as one of their friends. Yeah. Um, the original friend, I think it was Phil. He wasn't in the second movie, and they replaced this. They rewrote his character for Chris Farley. Is it the guy that was partied out? <laughs> yes. They're gonna spew, spew in this. <laughs> they originally wanted Rob Lowe to come back too in the second movie, hmm. which is weird because they want him to play a different character. Hmm. I know it's 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 very very weird. Um, interesting interesting fact about the cast in Wayne's World Two is you had Charlton Heston and uh, Tia Correa. And they actually played, and I probably said that I probably butchered that completely, but they actually starred in another movie that year, True Lies. Oh, that was a good one. And interestingly enough, they share a grand total of zero seconds of screen time in both movies combined. (laughs) What do you think was the main reason why a lot of people bought into, I say the plot, but a lot of people bought into the movie as a whole? Did they see themselves as... Just another bunch of people who are trying to to do what they can, live out their dreams, or you know, it it was it was new, it was different, and I I think that was the biggest thing. Um, you know, you had uh, you had a lot of slang and a lot of um, uh, pop and rock culture references. Um, there was really good music in the first one, yes. like uh, the Bohemian Rhapsody Definitely. scene in the car. Yeah, I remember that was my absolute, one of my favorite parts of that entire movie. Um, And I really, I don't really think the second one was all that bad. It just, it it wasn't as good as the first one. And there's just something to be said about the first of something. Yeah, I completely agree with with how the first one is always the one that you you harken back to. Was it because the second one didn't have as many moments? I mean, the first one was insanely quotable. Not. Uh... (laughs) couldn't resist uh it's insanely quotable it's got these scenes that people remember um it's got a really really good cast and it's shot well whereas the second one felt a little more forced in a way yeah Yeah. it was like look we're trying to we're trying to be funny no yeah no yeah yeah, the second the first one definitely was a little more uh the comedy was a little more organic but i think i think what really um drives the first one home is that it had a better plot Yes, it was a, it was a much more relatable plot. It's like these these two guys, and they're just doing what they do, and they they get pulled into uh, you know like a, a big uh, high dollar production version of what they've been doing in their basement for years. You know, and it's just it, and I, I think a lot of people can relate to that because we're all trying to quote unquote make it in some yes. sense, whether it's professionally, like you know, me as a musician, I absolutely understand that as well because. There's millions of musicians that, you know, work 30, 40 extra hours a week trying to quote unquote make it. And, yeah. you know, 99% of them never will. So I think the TV show is, even though Mike Myers' dream was to host his own cable access show, which is a pretty, pretty weird dream when you think about it in this day. And age. Set the bar pretty low, yeah. Set the bar pretty low. But could this be used as kind of allegorical to a musician's struggle? Oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, um, they start it in their basement or garage, you know, depending yeah, on... Yeah, yeah. The, the, it's, it's, it's definitely metaphorical in that sense. Um, I mean, and because, you know, making it, as, as I say again, is, is a combination of both um, timing, skill, and luck. Yes. I mean, you have to be in the right place at the right time, but you also have to have the, the skills to be able to do what you do, so... Yeah, people can recognize somebody who's not 
who's 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 doing it for either the wrong reasons or you know who, who's not talented enough to do it. Interesting. Before we yeah we, we move forward and look at some of the more behind the scenes stuff, uh, there was a couple of cast changes in between, and I found it weird that uh, Lara Flynn Boyle's character was written out, uh, the character of Phil was written out, hmm. um, and just a couple of these 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 side characters who made who who added flavor to the world were written out. Garth's Dream Woman was written out. And and they replaced her with uh, Kim Basinger's character, which, as far as subplots go in movies, it, it was over the top. I mean, as we spoke about earlier, in, in the first movie, everything that, that happened plot-wise was believable and relatable, whereas in the second one, it was more over the top and just seemed like they were trying too hard. Yeah, I, I really liked the... Um the uh monologue or the excuse me the dialogue between um um ba- uh, Kim Basinger and um Dana Carvey uh, yeah I'm, th- those those scenes as a whole I I like those scenes I will I will say I like those scenes in terms of their pure comedy because of how awkward Garth is and how he didn't understand Oblivious. It. yes <laughs> take me Garth where I'm throwing gas and you need a jacket <laughs> exactly <laughs> and he just he just didn't get it, and that's what that's again that's why I said the the Wayne to my girth because at the time, uh, well as as years went on, I related to that part of the character so much more than uh, than what people uh, realized. Um, but they, I mean, they did have Christopher Walken in the second one, and I thought that was a great casting choice. Del Preston, what a character! Yeah, uh, Christopher Walken. You know the one thing that bugged me about his character though, there's a scene where. Um... Wayne and Garth show up to the recording studio, and uh, Christopher Walken's character is, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, uh, Bo- Bobby. Yes. Yeah, Bobby Kahn, Kane, I don't know. He, uh, he's laying down a guitar track, and as a bassist, you know when someone's not actually playing the guitar. Yes. And it just bugged me because he had his guitar slung over one shoulder, like he was... Like yeah. it was like it was a backpack or something. It, I was like, he's not playing that, and it just kind of you know. I know there's some suspension of disbelief there that I was like, come on, guys, just put it, get it, put it, drape it over your opposite shoulder, you know. Yeah, the wife goes crazy when I point out on TV somebody's playing live, and I'm going, they're lip syncing. Oh, how do you know they're lip syncing? Just I'm you can like, tell. I mean, that 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 was the whole thing. Of, I know I'm jumping forward a few years. The, the was it the Ashley Simpson thing on Saturday Night Live? Oh man! And then I watched old episodes of Saturday Night Live, and I'm going. This is just an overdub of the original track. Yeah. It's just it just is what it is. Smoke and mirrors, man. That's Smoke. the entertainment industry. That is it in a nutshell. Uh going behind the scenes of both movies real quick. Um Mike Myers, as I mentioned, was apparently very difficult to work with in both movies. I find that very surprising. And I I, I do too. Um he always seems in interviews and everything, you know, as uh, amiable to work with. Yeah, he seems likable and fun, you know. It didn't seem like he would flip out over Something really small, like he apparently did in yeah, the movie. He he flipped a table over because he didn't have uh, margarine for his bagel. <sighs> that is some next level uh, yeah. diva right there. Big time. Um, he didn't want to do the headbanging scene in Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, I actually, uh, I actually heard something else about that. Um, the take that's in the movie. Um, if you pay close attention to Mike Myers. You can see him kind of like grimacing. He's yes. like, and at, you know, I didn't think much of it because I thought, you know, he was just getting into the music, but it was actually because they made them do that take about 20 times. Oh. And, um, 
they, they actually had to reshoot the take the next day. Oh. So all of their necks were really, really sore from doing that. So that that uh, face that you see him making is actually pain. And see, when I first thought, I thought that was the Wayne smile. Oh, no. Because it, well, it, it does look like the cheesy smile that he used to follow. Yeah, in, yeah, you know? yeah. The ear to ear. No, the, it, was, uh, it was genuine, genuine pain. Um, he also argued with the director of the final cut of the movie, and it was that and the bagel issue and a couple of other things that led to, uh, again, Penelope Spears not working on the sequel. Um, and apparently he hated the final cut of the movie. The, the original Wayne's World movie that we all know and love is disowned, for lack of a better term, by Mike Myers. Uh, that makes you wonder why he signed up to do the second one. I think because he had more creative control over the second one, especially since he handpicked the director for that one, and even though Wayne's World was written by a team, Wayne's World 2 was predominantly written by him, and his quote, team backed him up and kind of tightened the script up, but didn't change anything, whereas it was a collaborative effort in, in the first one. And I, and I could understand why he would have issues with, um, or, or, you know, have like certain sentiments about the movie, because in essence, the whole thing was spawned from his yeah. character. So I could see that, you know, him having creative differences in that way. And, and <laughs> I, I completely agree with that. People want to keep a hold of their babies as much as possible, especially in the creative world. Yeah. Um, Alice Cooper, probably one of the, 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 probably the best cameo out of all the movies, the, the Alice Cooper cameo. Oh yeah. He dropped, he dropped some, some amazing knowledge on them. Oh, Neil Walkay. Yes. Millie Walkay. <laughs> uh, he actually only, when he was invited on and he accepted the role, he actually played a song and it was going to be schools out. But they changed it to uh oh uh, the the song where he talks about uh not my Frankenstein yeah not one to eat pizza yeah and so <laughs> right <laughs> so he um he only envisioned him coming on to, to sing schools out and say in one line and then they handed him a script on the day and he actually dug that because Alice Cooper apparently is a big history buff especially in the history of uh, Illinois and Wisconsin and, and that whole area. Yeah, you know, shock rockers are actually um, some of the more intelligent people. You know, Marilyn Manson, for instance, oh, is yes. incredibly intelligent. The, um, one of the more famous scenes in the movie is uh, they're on the hood of the car waiting for the airplanes to fly over, and they're just talking about life and love. And uh, Dana Covey uh, mutters the Bugs Bunny line, which is the whole, hey, did you ever think it was hot when Bugs Bunny dressed up like a woman? And that laugh and that awkward silence and everything that followed that was actually genuine. That was completely ad-libbed. And Mike Myers loved that so much that he insisted that they, they keep that in the movie. But this, the movie was also the first recognized uttering of one of the most famous jokes, childish jokes, that is now in the history of the world, which is sadly said more often than not around myself. Uh, <laughs> it was used on Saturday Night Live a lot, but um, Wayne's World was the first instance of That's What She Said. In the very, very, uh, was it the opening scene? Uh, I know it was early on in the movie. And they're holding up the, the picture of, um, oh, I see my brain escaping me again. I think it was, I think they were holding up King Basinger's picture and doing the whole, you know, uh, or Heather Locklear. Heather Locklear. Heather Locklear. Heather yeah, Locklear. Yeah. Uh, can we, can we hurry up? I'm tired of holding this thing. And then the words were added. Um, it had been used before, but it was more subtle. As, as subtle as you can be with, 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 with that, you know. It, um, I, I guess making sexual innuendo back in the day was just, just hard. So, <laughs> That's what she said. Um, oh, yeah, and uh, props to Steve Carell for eloquently uh, 
revitalizing that phrase. Yes, it is. He owns that phrase now. He does own that phrase now. He, he has to. Um, the drum solo, Dana Carvey. I did not realize that Dana Carvey was that good of a drummer. Oh, absolutely. Actually, you know, uh, Dana Carvey is also an accomplished pianist. Really? He is a multi-instrumentalist. He's a great singer. Yeah, uh, if you haven't ever heard it, go on YouTube and check out this video by him. It's called Chopping Broccoli. Okay. It's him playing. It's it's basically part of a comedy routine. He's talking about how it sounds like uh, people just make up song lyrics in the spot. And he's talking about this lady who, like, went and bought some broccoli and she's chopping it up and yeah check it out it's really really good um also also another m- musical thing tia Carey again i apologize if i've butchered that if i get it wrong tia career career she sang all her lyrics yeah definitely you definitely hear it was her and i didn't that that's a phenomenal powerful voice she should have had a career in music as well as movies she probably could have um rob Lowe, after the sex tape scandal saw a career upturn because he apparently realized he was funny and um, there's also one joke directed at uh, Bill Murray in this movie, too. Hmm. Um, Bri- uh, his brother, Brian Doyle Murray, is the uh, uh, the uh, head of the arcade, Noah's Arcade. And when he flashes the sign that says, this man has no <laughs> it's a reference to the Ghostbusters joke. Uh, Mr. Peck, I think his name was? Uh, this can't is, recall. Was, when, when, they, when the Ghostbusters are in the mayor's office... And they're ranting and, ra- and they're given their, you know, they're given their reason why they need this. And then they say, this man has no That was the reference to the joke. Uh, it was a callback nice. to them. Wayne's World 2 did have some interesting things behind the scenes as well. They referenced a lot of urban legend uh, in, one of the, in one of the most famous scenes. Uh, you know, the Ozzy Osbourne story. So were they in the sweet shop? Yes, they were there <laughs> in the sweet shop. The whole thousand, the whole uh, uh, brandy glass full of M&Ms actually came from uh, Van Halen. Hmm. Um, they had a very, very specific rider, and one of the things they used to do was put uh, innocuous things in their rider so that uh, the stagehands would know... They'd, they'd know the stagehands had read the rider. Right, they wanted to make sure that they were actually reading it. Yeah. And one of them was remove all brown M&Ms from the M&M bowl. It seemed innocuous, it seemed stupid, and it seemed deaverish, but it was just their way of saying that everything else was red. If, if you did that, they knew you read if everything they, If else. they walked in and saw brown M&Ms in the bowl, then they knew yeah. that something else was going to be wrong. Exactly, and that actually did happen. The stage, a staging collapsed during uh, one of their gigs, Ooh. and they caused 80 grand's worth of damage to the dressing room afterwards. Jeez. That, that to me, is one of my favorite scenes. Um, originally... And this might pique your interest, since you are a big fan. Nirvana were approached to perform at the Wingstop portion of the film. Huh. They, uh, they, they saw the script and they, they politely turned it down. Which, looking back, I mean... That would have been so cool. That would, You had all these... Aerosmith were an 80s band at the time. Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, they really... They've been around since the it's, early 70s. It, I mean, it just seemed like they needed a fresh injection of, of blood. You know, they had Aerosmith, they had Alice Cooper. Yeah, while they were still relevant at the time, I can 100% agree with that. It would have given them, uh, it would have been more uh, fitting to the era. Definitely. Definitely. Um, also, uh, Wayne and Garth's TV crew, they are not mentioned by name in this movie. Mm-mm. That's, you know what, if, if you were, you know, if you were a stagehand, stage crew, you know, I, I, you, you can relate to that. The stars of the show get all the glory and the guys who do as much hard work don't get it. What's even weirder is the fact that you had Terry, who was, I think, the cameraman, and Neil was the sound guy. His name isn't mentioned in either movie. Hmm. Even though he's in the Bohemian Rhapsody scene, he's, you know, you, you don't hear. 
uh, the Jim Morrison scenes were inspired by Mike Myers' own spiritual journey. Mm. Um, I think part of the problems of why he was difficult to work with in the first one was his father was sick, and after mm. he passed, it was just yeah, it was just something that 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 he had to do. Um, Mike Myers, and this is where Mike Myers and Dana Carvey started to, I say fall out, but, um, it's never been confirmed and they've always denied it, but that's where they started having that, that whatever issues that they, they rumored to have came from Wayne's World 2. Um, Dana Carvey was upset that Mike Myers was all over the production, he had his fingerprints everywhere. And, you know, as, as we just said, yes, it was his baby, it was his, you know, his way of doing things and his character, but, uh... I think the reason why the Kim Basinger storyline subplot was added was because uh, Dana Carvey was upset that Garth had very, very few scenes in this movie originally. I mean, as much as we know Wayne and, and Wayne and Garth, just the idea that Garth is cut out of, her, of at least three quarters of the movie is, you couldn't have one without the other. Yeah, um, <clears throat> there's definitely like a Beavis and Butthead sort of thing going on there, because, you know, like, Beavis kind of just co-signed yeah. onto what Butthead was doing. And you, you, you kind of get that dynamic from Wayne's world that Garth is just kind of the tag-along co-signer. That yeah. He's just kind of there to prop Wayne up a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, Carvey, is, as successful as he was before going in, arguably much more yeah. successful than Myers. Yeah, I could see why that could cause issues. And not only that, I mean, it was... Um, I mean, you saw it in the first movie when... Spoiler alert, it's a 25-year-old movie... Uh, when when Wayne gets fired from his TV show and Garth has to host the second half by himself, he, and he's not comfortable. He doesn't want to do it. I'm having a good time. <laughs> not. Um, but what led to the the falling out was uh, Mike Myers didn't want to work on a third Wayne's World, and to be fair, I think that was a good idea. Um, but he was starting to have his spy movie in his head, which is which became Austin Powers, and. Apparently, Dr. Evil is based off of an impression that Dana Carvey did on uh, Lorne Michaels. Now, I'd never heard Lorne Michaels speak until that clip went around online of the Two and a Half Men finale. And I can understand why he'd get upset, because, I mean, it's, I don't want to say artistic infringement, but, I mean, it's no different than a guitarist stealing a riff from another guitarist and claiming it as his own. Yeah. There was a couple of scenes that made it to uh, Austin Powers. It was the falling down scene when he was on top when he was falling on top of uh, Cassandra. I'm not going to say the name again because I'm going to get it wrong. Oh, yeah. uh, but um, so it the second one had its problems. The first one won't find the second one had its problems with production. But I mean, it was it was a decent movie. It had its moments. Yeah, it it did have its moments. So it, what what do you think are some of the most famous scenes and uh, quotes from from the original of you know? But what what are the best parts of the original? Hmm, that's a tough one. I, when it came out, I was a fan of the uh, Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, I, I definitely thought that was hilarious. Um, but that, but also I was uh, what uh, nine when that came out, so <laughs> I was I was I was laughing at all kinds of funny stuff, childish stuff, I guess. I mean, the Bohemian Rhapsody thing, everyone knows. I think that one's been done to death in terms of everyone's favorite, and it's a cl- it's a classic movie scene, and it's a funny movie scene too. I think um, that was what I think we all have a song. That we do that to, in the car. <laughs> it you might know, not be Bohemian Rhapsody, but but there's a side that comes on the radio and it's like, yeah. Oh yeah, that's one of those. If it comes on and you're ending a, like if you're driving to the store and Bohemian Rhapsody comes on, like you have to sit in the car and finish it before you get out of the car. At least that's how I was raised. Right. But uh, something else funny about that, if you watch, uh, if you watch that scene with the part where they show them like singing along to it, uh, Mike Myers sings. Uh, 
nothing really matters. And they pan to Garth. And when he's when he sings, anyone can see. He's actually just going. He's just actually just moving his mouth in some weird way. <laughs> like he's not saying. He's not. He's just like meh, 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 meh. like. There's all, there's all sorts of little things like that in the movie if you watch carefully. Is that a bad take or is that he didn't know the words? I mean, uh, you know, I, don't, I honestly don't know. Because Bohemian Rhapsody was a big song in the UK and it was a big song in the U- in the US. Too. And it had been out what you know twenty years. But it wasn't to time. the level. I think. I think th- this movie elevated that song from a great song into a god song. It, I, <laughs> actually, I do believe that it um, it charted again. Yeah. After Wayne's World was released. Which is weird because it didn't even reach out after after Freddie died. Yeah. So I'm um, what about extreme close up? What <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was that was that was really funny. Um Yeah, the We're Not Worthy. Oh yeah. With Cooper, I think that one was um I I've done that a few yes. times. Uh so I absolutely understand that. I, I've I've done that too, but I've had a couple of uh, cocktails in me at the time. Yeah, probably so. Um, too. How many music shops have you walked into that has a sign saying "No Wonderwall"? None, <laughs> but but it's kind of an unspoken thing, like uh, uh, "Sweet Home Alabama," yeah, "Freebird," "Stairway to Heaven." That's just you just don't play those at a music store. You really don't. I mean, there's a million other things you can do. That's that's the equivalent of walking up to a car model and you know win this car here and then asking the model, do you come with the car? Right, right. You know they've heard it all before. It's like, like <laughs> they did uh, they did the, the the Terminator parody, which I think was the only thing that was out of place in the whole movie was the Terminator parody, but it was still funny because they they actually got uh, Robert Patrick in. That was that was rather subtle though because I honestly didn't even notice it until um but but yeah definitely it's definitely there. What about the, uh, the, did you ever play street hockey? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Car! Car! <laughs> and then, uh... Game on! Game on! And then Stacy crashes and burns. I'm okay! <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the donut, sh- I love the donut shop scenes. Like when Garth built, like, the little monster donuts, yeah. and he's like... He's <laughs> like, oh, no! That's not good at all! Oh, no! <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, and, and not just that, that, that. Like you know, did you know that if you killed a man in in winter, you'd see steam rising from his body? <laughs> the locals believe that it was your soul ascended day the afterlife. <laughs> I mean, just you know, that's pretty dark, man. It, that was for that movie, um, and the car hood scenes too. I love the car hood scenes. You know, the the good and the bad. I think that they were, you know, they were good. And the opening monologue too. The opening monologue was. Um, was fantastic in the sense that it was the first. It was the first time something like that was done. Um, you know, the opening monologues in in movies like that are usually done over exposition and you know voiceover and people aren't aware. And I think Mike Myers. I think one of the things that a lot of people loved about it too is that you knew it was a movie. They know it was a movie, but hey, let's play it up. They, they they broke the fourth wall, and that's that's uncommon. Like you don't you don't see that in um, film a lot. You you'll see that in. Um, plays yeah definitely. and theater but you don't really see it in the uh in the film world in the second wings well they did have some some similar they did have some good scenes in the in the second wheels world i'm not going to keep um keep clowning on it because it was a good movie and it it didn't have as many moments and scenes and quotes but i love the jurassic park parody yeah the you know the uh, adley stevenson memorial park uh <laughs> it's it's fantastic uh, the weird naked indian scenes 
how 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 uh, I mean I don't know. Miss? I mean, when I first saw it, I, I thought that they were gonna like tie it into something, but it it, it literally was just a um, it was just a vessel to sort of move the plot forward. It yeah. didn't it didn't had no comedic um, substance. It was just a crack for the sake of a crack. Yeah, it was just kind of there. Um, the wedding scene, and I I'm not gonna give. Uh, <sighs> I don't know which movie it was parodying, and I probably I should know what movie it is, but uh, I think I think that was a good parody too. Um, the Rody Training School, the obstacle course with Chris. <laughs> yeah, Chris Farley was a comic genius. Yeah. Um, rest in peace. Rest in peace, and just think how different the Shrek series would have been if it was Farley rather than uh, Mike Myers, because wow. he was he was he he actually recorded eighty percent of the Shrek uh, dialogue at that point. That's why Shrek looks like Chris Farley. Uh, oh wow. And Kevin Pollock with the eye scene. Yeah. Oh, my. That had me in stitches. Yeah, I laughed pretty hard at that one. Um, especially when they had to cross the T's and dot the... Lowercase J's. Exactly. <laughs> That's what you had to do. Um, the soundtrack to both movies, uh, we mentioned, it was a lot of, a lot of uh, what we call now classic rock, I guess yeah. you could say. You know, you had Queen, you had Alice Cooper, you had, you know, and then you had Dreamweaver. Uh, <laughs> that's that's actually was a pretty good song for like when he was staring at Cassandra. Yes, definitely. It it it, it fit. worked. It fit. Yeah. I think, and that was one of I think that was one of the things about the first Wayne's movie. Everything it was like a jigsaw puzzle. Where everything fit. It was for definitely. Sure. Um, in the second movie, the soundtrack was similar, in the sense that it had the the same style of um music used. Yeah, I can't remember which one it was, but they had one where T Careers. Uh, band was doing a uh, Hendrix cover. Yes, and that I thought that was pretty fantastic. Crucial tone. Yeah, that was uh, it was in a higher key, obviously, because you know T. Carrere's not a tenor. So. No, she's but but she's a babe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> have to get one of these to what one of those in every now. What do you think about how the? Uh, I know you brought this up to me the other day. What what about the language that was used in the movie? I mean, there's a lot of a lot of slang that was thrown about that kind of stuck around for a long time. Yeah, um, I mean, some of it's some of it's real dated, but I remember uh, I remember doing the not thing uh, to people for quite a while after that. Oh yeah, I think I think everybody did did the one. And I mean, uh, you had references to that even recently in like Borat. Yes, where someone was there was a linguistics professor trying to explain to him the usage of it. This suit is not black. Yes, this suit is black. Not. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's another character that I need to talk about one day. The uh, the wonderful Sasha Baron Cohen. Oh yeah. Um, so let's get down to brass tacks. The critics say eight out of ten. What does Greg say? I'd give it a nine or a nine point five. Personally, just because I feel like it's one of the movies that kind of it was it was unlike anything that anyone had seen before. I think that's yeah one of the reasons it had so so much success coming out of the gate. Um, you had a lot of um, pop references, rock references that, that came out of it. Had a good soundtrack, uh, good cast. It was uh, original p- story. The plot made sense. It was relatable. So yeah, I, I mean, eight eight out of ten is good. But I, I would I would I'll probably get closer to a nine. And and like I said, the only reason I give it an eight is because it kind of dated itself a little bit. It, yeah. it, it was a time capsule of even the earliest of early nineties. Sure. In a good way. Not, not 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 in a bad way. Not in a bad way at all. But because of that, subsequent watches of it, you can kind of tell that it's it's kind of a dated movie. 
and that's one of the things I'll, that's, I'll be completely that's one of the things I love about music and movies if you listen to it and not kind of pinpoint where it was originally done you can but you know what I mean just something that that doesn't immediately stigmatize it as a 90s thing yeah and I, I really think the best thing that came out of it was the fact that it, it pretty much launched Mike Myers career oh definitely and we got Austin Powers and all these other great movies because you know before that he was he was a TV actor and any actor will tell you that doing film and doing TV are two oh, totally yeah. different things. Um, I, th- I so. think film is the epitome for for a TV actor simply because you do like a fifth of the work and get paid ten times the money. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know he's not only had work as an actor but a voiceover actor yeah. and uh, all these other things. So it, it absolutely launched his career, made him a household name overnight. Basically, he definitely has milked that Scottish accent for all it's worth, though. Oh, it's 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 really good though. Shrek, it's, it's well, spot on. I, th- I think his I think either his mother or his father was Scottish. Yeah, Shrek and uh, Fat Bass. And my favorite Mike Myers character, Stuart McKenzie from So I Married an Axe Murderer. The probably the best. So that's Wayne's World One. What about Wayne's World Two? The critics say six out of ten. What do you think? Uh, you know it it was there's a lot of things that were really good about it, but um, I, I think it collapsed under the weight of its predecessor a Definitely. little bit. Um, they didn't have as much as, as a developed or relatable plot as the first. But I still think there was a lot of good moments in it, a lot of funny jokes. Um, you know, um, you saw the um, expansion of Wayne Campbell and Garth Algar. Yep. You saw their characters develop a little bit. Um, you know, there's good things about it. Um but yeah, like I said, I, it, it wasn't anything like the first one. Definitely, it was different. It definitely didn't live, in my opinion, it didn't live up to the hype. And the reason I, I would say something like 4 out of 10 is because it seemed rushed. It, it, it did. I mean, it was only 18 months between them. Um, you also mentioned... No, that's like two babies, though. Exactly. I mean, I can, I can <laughs> agree with that. Trust me. Uh, <clears throat> both my brother and my children. Uh, right. But uh, my brothers, I should say. Um, and you were right, you know, the first plot, the first movie seemed... To have a coherent plot that everybody could relate to, yeah, following your dream. Whereas the second one was literally following your dreams. Like, yeah, uh, kind of a second one was more of a fantasy. Yeah. Whereas the first one could happen to every man in any town USA. And it just it, it had too many references that kind of dated the movie instantly. You had the Jurassic Park scene, uh, which Jurassic Park wasn't even a year old at that point. You know. Yeah, and that was just. Um, Getting a boost off the laurels of an insanely oh yeah, uh, an insanely successful film. I'm probably one of the best films ever made. Yeah, it's up there definitely. One of my personal highlights of Wayne's World Two was definitely the character of uh, Del Preston. I think that they should they should have given him his own movie. You know, he was just I could sit and listen to him tell stories for a while because of his storytelling style. Okay, they only gave him one story to tell with you know, Ozzy beaten to death. The switch up and his owner with their own shoes. I had to bait them to death with their own shoes. <laughs> Nasty business, that. Uh, <laughs> but no, I thought he was good. I thought he was great. I thought that was, you know, that was one of the uh, one of the highlights, definitely. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know. I I thought it was played out after the second time. I mean, sure, it was funny, but you know. But that that led to part of the the humor behind it, though. He was so. <sighs> out of his head, out of his mind, that I was, he could only remember yeah. one story. I was about to say, he should have had a lot more than that as for as long as he wrote it. Yeah. And, 
all the people that he knew, but yeah, I don't know. It seemed kind of like a a moot point to me. It it it, it I I think yeah, I think I agree with you on the one hand. It should have been they should have told a different story, or at least used different people in the story. Like so, you know, it's the, he, he did the same thing not just with Ozzy, but with you know someone else. Or he remembers the story with um, you know, I don't know, Kiss or somebody else another rock oh, oh, giant he, oh he tells the same story but doesn't but doesn't realize that he's made the story up with a different you, you right know. so right. like he's more an imposter than the actual del preston right. you know he does, actually doesn't know what he's doing um let's talk about the endings of wayne's world they did something that i loved you had in the main wayne's world you had the apocalyptic ending which uh, <laughs> i watched that the first time and i thought hang on they're not gonna end the movie like this are they surely not you know just everything <laughs> Everything getting burnt down, and yeah, they lose the girl, and you know, they, they, they instead, I thought they should have ended it with the Scooby Doo end. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for people that <laughs> oh, my word. Uh, the happy ending, though, do you, th- do you think the ending was cliche, or do you think it had to be a cliche ending for it to uh, for it to work? You know, there's a lot of debate about that, like, you know. The, the whole thing about a happy ending, I mean, but at the end of the day, that's what people want. Yeah. They want, because they, they kind of um, look at that like their own lives. Like, they want to think that everything's going to work out and things are going to end happy. But as we all know, you know, life doesn't always have happy endings. No. That's, Sometimes that's... they end badly or... But I think the biggest the biggest thing is that people get so screwed up by the picture of what they thought it was going to be in their own head. Yeah. I think that's what screws people up the most. So have zero expectations, just do your best. And I think that's what that personified in a lot of ways was because if you, if you look back at the whole movie, they were nothing but themselves the whole time. They were true to themselves 100% of the time. And I think that's, if you could take any familiar moral from that, I think that would probably be it. Definitely. Um, yeah, I think I, th- I agree. The happy, I think the happy ending was what, what people wanted. And I think you're absolutely right. They, they were themselves. They, they tried to keep themselves going in the face of everything steamrolling. You know, everything went from they were two guys in a basement to being two guys with a TV show and a rock star girlfriend. But they were still Wayne and Garth. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why I didn't relate to Winswell too. Because the characters had changed ever so slightly. Yeah. They took a left turn when they should have just kept going straight and down the path. Yeah. So, and that's it, guys. I mean, Wayne's World, great movie. I, th- I think overall, great series. Um, the movies complemented each other. They were yin to the yang, and they showed what could be, what you should do in how to make a comedy movie based off of a TV sketch show, and what you shouldn't necessarily do all the time. And if you book them, they will come. Exactly. If you book them, they will come. And talking of bookings, before we wrap this up, I know you have a couple of events lined up. Yeah. Because um, I don't know if I mentioned this before I started. Greg is actually, Greg's been helping me from the start get this podcast together. And he is a member of the Holodex, friends of the show. And uh, we've been promoting them for, for the last couple of weeks. And I think you have news on uh, a couple of events that you guys have lined up. Yeah, um, we're going to be doing some private functions the next couple of weeks. But uh, we're going to be back in town October 21st, the Tiki Bar. That's on East Kings Highway in Shreveport. That is a free show. Sweet. Starts at 9 o'clock. That's October 21st, 9 p.m. Also, we have 
some big stuff coming up. Thursday, October 26th, we're going to be at the State Fair, the uh, Louisiana State Fair in Shreveport. The following night, we'll be at El Dorado Casino. Uh, that's the 27th at Celebrity Lounge. And then the 28th, we're going to be doing our um, Halloween performance at Strange Brew. Strange Brew is on Wall Street, which is off of um, Spring Street um, near uh, uh, near Ivan's. Okay. And um, some of, there's, there's a little mini strip down there. Yeah, that's really the best way I can describe it. Um, but uh, it, we have all our dates listed on theholodex.com, so you can always go and check that out. Uh, also, we're on Reverb Nation, Twitter, Instagram, pretty much every type of social media platform. So you can always get more information or uh, ticket info, all that kind of thing, or just watch videos and listen to some of the some stuff that we do and uh, just check it out. And if you guys do want more information on the links and everything, I want to have them in the description of the podcast so you can just tap them or click them from wherever you are. Greg, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on. Man, thanks for having me. Not a problem. The invitation is still open. It's going to be open for a long, long time. I know we've awesome. got a few more things coming up in the next couple of months and I look forward yeah. to hearing from you then. Party on. Party on, man. So before we go into some 90s trivia, I wanted to say a sincere thank you once again to Greg Gregory for taking the time to talk about Wayne's World with us. And in all the excitement and all the fun that we were having recorded, we kind of forgot the social media question this week. So uh, it's very, very simple. What is the song that you headbang to the most? Kind of like the Wayne's World scene when you're in the car, you're doing laundry or whatever. Which song comes on the radio or your iPod or whatever and sends you into that mode where you just bang your head? I'd love to hear what your answers are. You can uh, reach us on our social media websites in the description below. And we'll go ahead and read out some of the best ones next week. Life is good. But after a hard day at the job, it's nice to come home and spend time on your own personal throne. And with the ability to play games on a cell phone still many, many years away, and this week's edition of Scantily Clad Babes in the Other Bathroom, now is the time to handle some business while handling your business. Introducing the Potty Putter. That's right, you can now work on your stroke with your pants around your ankles. Never again does a potty break have to be as unproductive as it seems, featuring a miniature club, plastic ball, and green mat. You can now make time for your game without leaving the comfort of your own bathroom. The Potty Putter, on sale for three easy payments of $9.99. But wait! Order now and you will get overnight delivery, meaning that you no longer have to read the bottle of shampoo on the toilet or spend your time trying to pronounce the ingredients on your tube of toothpaste. The Potty Putter. So that's almost it for this week, guys. I thought I'd do a little bit of 90s trivia for you. This week, we're going from the 8th of October to the 14th of October. And we're going to start in 1991 on October 14th, where the world sadly got a little bit darker as we lost Gene Roddenberry, the creator of the Star Trek universe. It was a very, very sad day for us science fiction fans all over the world. A year later, in 1992, Midway released Mortal Kombat in the arcades in America. One of the most iconic fighting games of all time, uh, especially due to his use of blood, guts, and gore. Um, looking back now, it seems tame compared to some of the games out there, but, you know, it caused a big uproar upon release. Uh, a year later, the release of one of my favorite movies of all time, Demolition Man, starring Sylvester Stallone, Wesley Snipes, and Sandra Bullock. I love that movie. That, oh, man, I, I just... 
lethal cop buddy car chase, man. I, I love those things. Sometimes I love a good Casablanca, and sometimes I love a good let's blow the crap out of everything movie. On the 12th of October, 93, uh, Very Necessary by Salt and Pepper was released. So, you know, there you go. On the 11th of October, 1994, Clerks, the soundtrack, was released. Now, what was significant about that is that it was, I think, the first and so far only soundtrack where the rights to all the music that was required for it cost more than the entire production of the movie. Which, you know, if if the I think the soundtrack cost 25 grand and the movie cost like 20 grand to make. Which, you know, is, is, is bizarre, but it's absolutely fantastic. It's, you know, one of the very few soundtracks that I absolutely adore with every fiber of my being. Uh, on the 14th of October, 1994, three really, really big movies were released. Uh, Pulp Fiction, The Shawshank Redemption, and Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which is a very, very unique take on the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Uh, we're going to fast forward a couple of years to 1998, where the RIAA filed a court motion against Diamond Multimedia to block the release of the Rio PMP300, the one of the first MP3 players of its kind, calling it a piracy device. That case was thrown out of court, and now the MP3 is possibly the the biggest medium of sound um, in the world. I mean, I work in sound, you know, I work in, in raw WAV files, you know, but the MP3 is the the industry standard in terms of all compressed audio, and, you know, it's it's weird how far that has become in 19 years, you know, how that has just completely taken over. Uh, on the 11th of October, 1999, the Lord of the Rings series started shooting, and I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, that, you know, the Lord of the Rings were, became one of the most epic movie franchises of all time, and it got started, it was right on the cusp of the new millennium, you know, and, and so, you know, it got its start, it's, it, it's got its roots and foundations in the 90s. And that's it for your trivia this week, guys. I know normally I throw a funny in there, but there was really nothing, you know, that I could look and say, oh, ha 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 ha. So, uh, no funny this week. Then again, some people say no funny every week because I'm not that funny. Uh... <laughs> So, uh, the social media question of this week, as I mentioned, what is your song that you headbang to aside from Bohemian Rhapsody? What is the headbanging song of your choice? Again, let us know on all of our social media websites. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr. All the links are in the podcast description. And, you know, again, guys, like us on social media. Get our name out there. I'd, I'd love to expand our audience even more. You know, we've we've done really, really good so far. This is our third episode. We've already doubled the expectation of what I already had, and, you know, I want to keep that going, and I just want to keep it going, and going, and going, and, and, and I don't want to get on my knees and beg you guys to help, but if you guys like this show, please share it on social media, get your friends to listen to it, it would mean the whole world to me and everyone involved with us. So I'm going to be talking about next week's show, and it's actually going to be a multi-part episode. Ooh, yeah, we haven't done any multi-part episodes before, and, um, I figured multi-part episodes were episodes that I could string the content out for longer than one episode. And in doing some of the research that I've done and the things I want to talk about, it looks like this is going to be our first three-part episode. Three is a very, very weird number, I know. But um, we're going to be talking about the musical scene in the 90s in Britain. And we're going to be focusing on Britpop. Uh, Britpop was uh, the genre that got me into music in the first place. Uh... I love the Britpop scene, I love the musicians that were involved, even to this day, I mean, case in point, this last week, Liam Gallagher, one of the faces of Britpop, released his first solo album, and um, I haven't listened to it yet, I'm dying to listen to it, um, from what I've heard, some people think it's great, some people think it's not so great, but, you know, there we go, but we're going to be talking about all what led up to 
the formation and the initial the initial first couple of years of the scene uh, next week. In two weeks' time, we're going to be looking at the what I consider the four biggest albums of the era. Uh, I'm going to be joined by uh, Sarah for that. Sarah's been another person who's been helping me, in fact, more ways than you know. And uh, we'll get into that when she's on board. And then the third part is going to be the peak and decline. Uh, what happened when it got too big for its britches and suddenly collapsed everywhere. Uh, that's going to be the next three weeks. So I'm looking forward to doing that. That's one of the things I wanted to do when I first got this podcast down. And I hope you guys join me for the journey as we look at one of the biggest music scenes of the 90s. And that's it, guys. Thanks for listening, and I do appreciate everybody taking the time to listen to this, and I look forward to hearing from you all next week. Yeah.